There's only one nation, Raider Nation. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090. Welcome back. It is Friday night. This is Silver and Black tonight only on the Mightier 1090. Scott Branson, Mo Moten with you just two days until the big game. Sunday night football, the final game of the regular season of the first 18-week season in the NFL comes down to the Raiders and the Chargers in Las Vegas. The winner is in the playoffs. The loser is at home and moves on to the offseason. So we have lots to talk about. It is going to be a drama-filled Sunday. Can the Raiders, with all they've faced this year, all of the adversity from losing their coach to having one of their top players in a fatal car accident to losing players to injury throughout the season, all sorts of things happening around this Raiders team. Can they put that all aside and win four in a row to get in the playoffs for just the second time since 2016? The Raiders are playing a meaningful game in January. I bring in Mo Moat now. Mo, who would have thought four weeks ago when we were talking about how poorly this team was playing uh, and that they couldn't score that they would rattle off three wins in a row and be at this point. Survive in advance. And I said this on Twitter after they beat the Browns, I believe, because mm-hmm. a lot of fans were still down on the Raiders. They were like, well, they beat a Browns team that had a bunch of people out on COVID. I don't believe this team is going to make a playoff push. I was skeptical myself, but I said, hey, there's still a chance. You just never know. You have to play these games out because you, with COVID, with injuries, you just never know how the chips are going to fall. And lo and behold, here we are. Raiders biggest game and i don't exaggerate probably the biggest game since they played in that super bowl and lost to the tampa buccaneers and i was on my bunk bed at 16 years old <laughs> i'll rub that in <laughs> i appreciate that uh but the team you know we talked about the adversity gruden rugs arnett being cut the losing streak uh all that stuff and we're going to talk about rich Bisaccia as far as the future is concerned uh, but when you look at this team and how they've been able to, quote-unquote, keep it together, not only all that adversity, but then the losing on the field and that that huge rough spot that they hit during that that 5 of 6 period, um, Mo, it's it's remarkable. And you have to credit the guys on the team. You know, we've been, we've been critical where we needed to be, but I have to give them all credit in the world because so many teams you see in situations like this, they might not overtly quit, but mentally they start to check out early because of all the challenges and they kind of fall off. The Raiders have not done that. Yeah. I remember a few weeks ago, I wrote a piece on Vegas sports today and I basically said, basically is this team the same team we saw the last two years? I know that's been mm-hmm. a topic of discussion. You know, are they the same collapsing squad that we saw in 2019 and 2020? And at first the answer was yes, because of course they lost, I believe five or six games uh, between week nine and week 14. So you thought, okay, they're six and seven. They're headed toward a nosedive. Here comes the collapse. They're going to the offseason with a sub 500 record, and they turned it around. And here we are. Like I said, they have a winning season, nine and seven. Whether they win or lose, it's still a winning season. Of course, you know, I don't like moral victories because it's about winning. <laughs> and in this, in this case, about the playoffs, but they turned it around. So kudos to them. I had them winning eight games. I believe you and Evan, our friend, I just probably baby had them winning nine. Mm-hmm. So we were we were right. We were ahead of the curve as far as the national media because the national media had them winning five or six games. And I was like, look, they're better than that. Yeah. <laughs> Even with all the disaster we just talked about, they're still better than that. But they're around that 500 mark, but they can get to 10 and we'll see if they can do it. Yeah, if if they get to ten, it'll be remarkable. And I know, I know a lot of people. If they get in the playoffs, Rich Bisaccia gets the job. I'm like, no. And again, we're going to yeah. address that later in this segment. 
But the the person I want to focus on now, and and you waded into these waters up on Vegas Sports today, uh, this this past week, was around Derek Carr, right? Derek Carr, to me, now he had the 2016 season. He breaks his leg. He doesn't get to play in the one playoff game, of course, which we all know what happened was a disaster. Uh, but this is Derek Carr's biggest game of his career, is it not? Yeah, definitely, because obviously he didn't get to play in the playoffs after he fractured his his fibula. So you can't say that playoff game was bigger because he, he didn't get to play. But yeah, this is the biggest game of his career because everything is on the line here. Mm-hmm. It's not like the Raiders in 2016. We knew the Raiders are going to the playoffs. It's just a matter of where they were going to place because they had a chance to, to win the division. This this game coming up on Sunday is if they lose. They're, they probably are going to go home because I don't think the Colts are going to lose to the Jaguars. There are some funky scenarios out there where if the Colts lose and the Pittsburgh Steelers lose, then Raiders can still get in if they win. I'm not counting on that. I'm saying, look, <laughs> you win and get in. If you lose, you're probably out. Right. And a- as we as we just talked about, Derek Carr has to has to has to put it together in this game. We've we've had different shades of Carr. I talked about it in my piece. Different versions of him. Sometimes he he plays well in the first half, not so good in the second half. Sometimes he's off. Sometimes he comes up big in the clutch despite a bad first half. He needs to put the get put it together for all four quarters on Sunday. Yeah, no doubt. And that's the thing too is I think with Derek Carr, you know, I think more than more than any show that's not on kind of state run media, we've been very fair about Derek Carr when he's been when he's not played well. We've talked about it intensely and when he's played really well, we've given him credit for it. So, so I think we've been very even-handed. But I just don't think it's an understatement to say that not only is this the biggest game of his career, but it also is the biggest game to set him up for the rest of his career, meaning that if he comes out and balls out, I'm not saying he's got to pass for 500 yards and beat Joe Burrow this week. I'm not saying that at all. But if he can get his team to a position, I don't care if he throws two picks and no touchdowns, but they win somehow because he puts his team in position to do so. It doesn't matter. It's about winning football games. And the biggest criticism against Derek Carr has been that, great, you put up numbers, but you don't win. And and when you have the opportunity, you don't know, for example, how other seasons are going to unfold. This could be the only opportunity you have uh, in the next few years where you control every moment of your destiny, meaning that if you win the game, you're in. And that is the time when you see great players. For all of you out there who consider Derek Carr an elite quarterback, we do not, but you do. If you do, that's fine. Elite quarterbacks at this moment step up, they win the football game. And and Mo, the other thing here, and I know people say, well, Derek Carr, he's a religious guy, which is awesome. Um, uh, so he's not, he'll take less money to play for the Raiders and he's not focused on the money. Let me tell you something. He's up for a contract uh, renewal, right? He's up for an extension. The better you play, the more you can demand. So this is an, also a reason why it's a big game for him. Yeah, and I, and I wrote a piece, and I basically tweeted this. I, I think he's back regardless of how he plays. Absolutely. I, I, unless he pulls an Antonio Brown and walks off, the, takes off his jersey <laughs> and walks off the field. He's back as the, Raiders, as the Raiders quarterback. Now it's just a matter of how much can he command or demand at the negotiating table, and I think that's what's at stake here along with the playoffs. But I just want to do a quick jab. I just want to throw a quick jab at the people out there who are criticizing Carr about his numbers, and you touched on it a little bit. Yeah, the numbers don't look pretty in the box score, but he's coming up big in clutch moments and putting his team in position to win. Now, before I was, oh, he has the great numbers, but the team is not winning. Now the team is winning and the numbers aren't great and people are still complaining. (laughs) And it's like, what do you, I mean, I understand you want the perfect quarterback and you want everything to be great and you want all your players to be all pros and Hall of Famers, but that's just not reality. 
And the point is Derek Carr is playing good enough to the point where if the scores are close, you trust him to get you down the field to either get you in field goal range so Carlson can kick a field goal and win the game or for him to get you a scoring drive. And I think he is doing that and he deserves credit for that. No doubt. By the way, Daniel Carlson, AFC Player of the Week for the third time, yet he was snubbed from the Pro Bowl. You go figure. Uh, but you're right about that, and we talk about that hypocrisy too with the with the hate love Derek Carr camps, right? And the fact that they 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 they're not happy no matter what happens. So there's just a percentage of people who are always going to be that way. But it is about winning. I mean, again, I don't understand those fans because you've been to the playoffs seven times in 31 years, once since 2016. So you're going to be angry if he goes out and throws three picks and only passes for 90 yards, but they win and go to the playoffs? Like, like you can't have it both ways, right? And I think Derek Carr, the one thing, I'm going to play dime store psychologist here too, Mo. You ready for this? <laughs> I'm ready for this. And I really believe that this game for Derek Carr as a quarterback too is the defining moment for him psychologically. I think that he's heard all this. We know Despite what he says, because when you talk about how you don't listen to the critics a lot, it means you're listening to the critics. Okay, let's not sugarcoat that. He does, clearly, by the way he talks at press conferences and all that stuff. So I get it. If I'm him, in my mind, if I can go out and do this, I shut up everybody, right? Now, that doesn't mean they're going to go on and win the Super Bowl, but for, for all those people who say that they can't get him into the playoffs and all this stuff since he broke his leg... It goes away for the most part. Now, they'll find something else to bitch about, but at least he can get past that. And I think for him, as he enters what I call the back nine of his career, it's probably more like the back four or five, um, as he gets there, he's, he that confidence level when you win a game like that, I can't underscore how important that is even for a professional athlete. Yeah, and on top of that, you got to remember that coming into the season, a lot of people have been boasting about Justin Herbert. Basically, people yes. are talking about Carr as the third best quarterback in the AFC West. Mm -hmm. I know it's not quarterback versus quarterback in these football games. It's a team game. But you got to understand that as the competitor in the back of your head, you're thinking, this guy, this little snot-nosed kid across the field from me, has <laughs> been in the league for two years, and they got him over me already? And I get to go against him one-on-one, -on -one, well, against his team one-on-one, -on -one, and with, a, with the playoffs on the line, if I show out, people may think, you know what, maybe Derek Carr is still maybe the second-best quarterback in that division. Now, a lot of people will look at Herbert's numbers and say, no way, he's he's got a higher ceiling, and I get all that. I actually agree with that. But as of right now, you're looking at it and saying, Derek Carr, Justin Herbert, who do you want in the clutch? Who do you want with the playoffs on the line? I think Derek yeah. Carr looks at this game and says, if I win it, I, I, I can get more praise than Justin Herbert in that sense. Yeah, and both of them are clutch late in games. If you look at the top two quarterbacks with fourth quarter yards, number one, Justin Herbert, number two, Derek Carr. So uh, that's why I like you know the, the thought that this game might start out a little slow and, and steadily get better as it goes on from an offensive standpoint with bigger numbers. Um, but, Mo, the other thing we want to touch on, uh, and this, this is something that, that came up uh, this, this week uh, besides the Derek Carr stuff, was the fact that uh, suddenly, out of left field, like like somebody planted it, um, there was a story about the possibility of Jim Harbaugh, the coach at the University of Michigan, of course, former 49ers coach in the NFL, that led them to three consecutive NFC Championship games and a Super Bowl, um, is interested in going back to coaching, and that the Raiders might be at the top of his list. He has, of course, he coached with the Raiders early in his career, his coaching career. He also is friends with Mark Davis, so there's a close relationship there. Uh, and you wrote about this. You said, hey, what's the future of Rich Bisaccia? And, and so that's the question I want to ask right now is, I've said it, and I'm not backing off it. 
outside of a Super Bowl appearance, I don't think Rich Bisaccia has a chance to become the full-time head coach. That's not a knock on him. That is just realizing that he, when he was called into service as the interim head coach, it was because he had the personality and the, 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 the talent to keep those guys together, to be the right figure, to be that good cop versus the bad cop. Doesn't have to be the disciplinarian. He's the guy who keeps people together. We've even heard players talk about it, right? Um, but as far as long-term, building your team, you have to, as Mike Mayock said last year, you have to build this team to unseat uh, these Kansas City Chiefs as the class of the division. Is that a guy you want to build out your future and to build out your program? So I say no. So then Jim Harbaugh's name comes up. So let's start with the Rich Bisaccia situation. There's been no talk from either side about him having a chance to get the job. So why do we think he wants it? Yeah, we're just assuming that he wants that job. And even if he says he he would like to have the job, let's just compare the resumes really quick, just you know, off off the top. Jim Harbaugh won about 70% of his games on the NFL level when he was coaching the 49ers. Led the 49ers to three consecutive NFC championship games. And I believe forty in about 40 years of coaching, Rich Basacha hasn't been a head coach. Maybe that's by choice. Maybe that there's a reason for that. But I'm just mm-hmm. saying, compare the resumes. Just remember, as the Raiders, you're, com- you're competing against the Chiefs. Andy Reid. They're the class of the AFC West right now. Mm-hmm. And remember early in the season, I talked about there was a there was an advantage that the Chiefs had that I didn't talk about when we were on the show, and that was the coaching yeah. advantage, Andy Reid versus Rich Passaccia. If you're looking at the coaching comparison, you're saying, okay, how do we, as you said, how do we unseat the Chiefs from the, from the, from the throne? How do we knock off the Chiefs year after year? Not just this year, but next year and five years beyond. You have to upgrade. And I'll, I'll analogize this to a personal story here. Now, mm. I now, I thank all the people out there who've been congratulating me on my promotion at Bleacher Report, whatever. But this is not about patting me on the back here. When I got that promotion, I thought, okay, I'm doing something right. So I got the promotion. But I, I also have to step my game up. Mm. I, don't ha- I can't be the same writer, the same guy that I was before I got this promotion because this, this new position is going to demand new things of me. I have to be more disciplined here. I may have to do things a little differently. Same thing goes with, with football and the Raiders in their head coaching position. Just because you got to the playoffs with Rich Passaccia doesn't mean that's the long-term answer and you, ha- you could stay the same. Right. As you move up, you got to step your game up. So as you said, unless Rich Passaccia takes this team, I think, to AFC Championship game, I'm still looking to, up, to upgrade. Because, again, as you move up, as, as the expectations rise, you have to step it up. And I think Harbaugh is a major upgrade over Rich Passaccia. Yeah, and, and I agree with everything you just said. You, you, you put it so well, and even your, your personal analogy with your story and your recent promotion. <clears throat> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that, and that's the point. And I'm not, like, like I said, it's not a knock against Rich Passaccia, but you're right. Maybe out of choice, he doesn't, maybe he likes to not, it, it's different when you're the CEO. When you're the CEO of an organization, uh, you're, not, you're not the vice president. You know, you can have power. You can have – it's a different ball game. You are in charge of the entire football operation on the field, and that's that's a whole different animal. You have to treat players differently. You have to learn how to delegate duties, all sorts of things. So so to that point, I agree with you, and I just don't think Rich Bisacci is the long-term answer for this team as much as I want to give him credit for what he's done. Now, Jim Harbaugh, we mentioned it. I had people push back on Twitter about this to say, listen – Oh, he, he, the only reason he won in San Francisco was he, he had good defenses. He had terrible offenses. Well, 
in in the four years he was there, the three the uh, the first three years they were ranked 11 in offense for three straight years, and then they were 25th. So they had a fall off his last year uh, with with some injuries and, and the such. Um, I don't understand people who don't think it's a good a good look for the Raiders. I have had people message me and say, you know what, my problem with with Harbaugh is what you hear about him wearing his welcome out, meaning that he's very hard on players. He's a disciplinarian, which has good sides to it, but the bad side is it doesn't last very long in the in the in the current state of things in the NFL. Um, talk about the pluses and minuses of Jim Harbaugh in your mind, and why he might be a good fit to take on this team next season. Well, I'll, I'll touch on the minuses, and I'll piggyback off of what you said and what people have messaged you about. Yes, he does wear out his welcome. It shows in his, his reputation. He doesn't stay in one place too long. Um, now, he, he's been at Michigan for a while. That's his alma mater. But mm-hmm. if you're looking at just winning, you're not you're thinking, okay, if you can get Harbaugh for four or five years and he takes you to the playoffs in each of those four or five years, you wouldn't take that? <laughs> you know, even though even if you know you're only going to get four or five years out of it, I, I'm, I'll take it if I know I'm going to go to the playoffs most of the time, especially if I'm going to go to the conference championship game as the 49ers did three out of four years. So I'll, I'll take that. Uh, the other thing is he's he's not very cuddly with the media. I guess that's a personal minus for for guys like me and, and reporters who may want to interview him. He's not going to give mm-hmm. you a lot of sound bites. Mm-hmm. I, I say he's he's very John Gruden without the catchphrases and, and the autonomy over rosters. Right, because he's not going to give you a bunch of catchphrases. When he was in San Francisco, he didn't have full autonomy over the roster. That was more Trent Bulky, and I think that's a po- I think that goes into my positive is that when you bring in a, a Jim Harbaugh, you don't have to worry about him being or surrounding himself with yes men. Mm-hmm. And I wrote about this in my column. He he puts together some great coaching stats. He did it with San Francisco. Did it at Stanford. Did it at San Diego University. Did it at Michigan. He puts bright, brilliant minds around him, so you don't have to worry about him. Uh, being the being the guy that says I just want a bunch of yes men around me and my voice is the only voice that matters and that's the only voice I'm going to listen to. No, I think he's very pliable when it comes to listening to his assistant. So that's a, that's a big positive. And of course, the biggest positive is everywhere he's gone, he's won. Yeah, San Diego, Stanford, San Francisco 49ers, Michigan. Everywhere he's gone, he's he's uplifted that program. Or brought that program to new heights. Yes, and and to your point as well. Now I know San Francisco's had a couple down years, including one because they had they were just decimated by injury. Let's not be stupid. Um, but he left that that program in good condition. He left that franchise in good condition to the point where that when when they filled the spots, they're able to stay competitive. So so to your point about hey, you're, you're gonna if you're a Raider fan and you tell me you wouldn't be comfortable with with Jim Harbaugh just being here for four years if he went to two uh, AFC championship games in a Super Bowl or three, I mean, come on. Anybody would trade that off, especially when you've had 31 years of pretty lean football. So uh, it makes a lot of sense. And and I, I, I like it. Uh, we'll have to see how it unfolds and whether or not, because there's other teams that are going to have openings as well. Um, all right, Mo, we're up against our first break. When we come back, we're going to welcome our good friend Gilbert Manzano. Of course, he writes for the LA Daily News, Orange County Register, SoCal News Group. We're going to talk to him about the Chargers and what they got going. And Mo, I mean, it's crazy to think, again, we were doing some shows that were pretty somber a few weeks ago, four or five <laughs> weeks ago, and here we are uh, just at a game uh, Sunday night that's going to be huge in Las Vegas, huge for Raider Nation, uh, and huge for this franchise, I think, moving forward. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, I know you're you're probably familiar with this phrase, but it's all about survive in advance. That's right. That's it. That's it. It's and the 
And you know what? They're in a position. You, there's no excuses. You win, you're in. If you lose, you lost. And you know what? You had the chance to be there. Uh, and so no matter what your season was like, no matter losing your coach, losing players, you had the opportunity and have the opportunity to do that against the Chargers on Sunday night. By the way, make sure you check out our website. You can get all uh, of our shows up there, not only here on the Mightier 1090, but also on our uh, game day show, which is on Sunday mornings out in Las Vegas, on the fan in Las Vegas, at silverandblacktonight.com. Make sure you check out the Mightier1090.com as well. Uh, as we step aside here, we'll leave you a little bit of music. We'll have some fun with it. And when we get back, Gilbert Menzano will talk all about the Chargers as the Raiders get set for their big game on Sunday night. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back with Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 SoCal Sports Talk. Driving all the old men crazy. Scott and Moe on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 AM. All right, welcome back. Segment two of Silver and Black tonight here on the voice of local sports talk in SoCal. That, of course, is the Mightier 1090. Don't miss big announcement coming up about 1090 on Monday. You don't want to miss it. It is large. It is very large, so make sure you do that. We are here, of course, talking Raider football, SoCal's only Raider talk show, Scott Brands and Mo Moten. We're going to shift gears now and talk to someone who knows the Chargers even better than we do, much better than we do, because he covers them every day. That's our good friend, Gilbert Manzano, of course, former Raider writer as well in Las Vegas. So he's, he knows both sides here for the most part. And Gilbert, of course, is a writer with the SoCal News Group, Orange County Register, LA Daily News. Gilbert, not not much at stake at this game. Isn't it fun to be able to cover a Raider-Chargers game, uh, not only because of the rivalry, but now because it's for the playoffs? You, you know, it, it's kind of like an up and down. We're like, you know, when the when the Chargers won and the Raiders won and the Ravens and the Dolphins lost, you think about what, what a scenario in Las Vegas. Week 18, you win and you're in two rivalries. How exciting on Sunday Night Football. Then you go through the week and there's interviews and there's uh, <laughs> stories are right, transcribing, go to practice, and it's just a crazy chaotic week. And you start thinking, okay, uh, maybe it would have been better if you seen the route of the playoffs. But I won't be a, a Debbie Downer. Uh, it's a big-time game. Uh, why not start the playoffs early? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna start now. It's Friday, end of the week. I'm starting to get excited again. Yeah, and it's it's it, you're you're right. It it, it takes takes on a whole different thing. The game flexed obviously to Sunday night football, which is huge. Uh, and the last game of 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 the season, the regular season, week 18, Chargers and Raiders. Now the Chargers enter the game, Gilbert, uh, perhaps healthier than they've been all season. Kenneth Murray was activated on Monday. Only Jared Cook still on the COVID list. Then you have the center Corey Lindsley who left Sunday. 
Sunday's win in the first quarter with a back injury, uh, Brandon Staley said it's not real serious, so he'll probably be back. Then add in five defensive backs for the first time all back since week one, Samuel Davis, Harris, Derwin James, and Nasir Adderley. Um, talk about this team and the confidence that all these guys coming back and that the fact that they got a full roster with everybody they started the season with back for the first time. Yeah, it's kind of strange because, you know, two weeks ago, it felt like the sky was fine for the Chargers. You know, they were decimated with people on the COVID reserve list. So they had some injuries. You know, Derwin James was in with a hamstring injury, and they lose. And you start thinking, well, that's it for this team. They won't make the playoffs. They need a lot of help to get in. They lose their one opportunity. How can you do that against the Houston, Texas, and all teams who also had a lot of COVID issues? But then, you know, I was out there at practice yesterday, Thursday, and I'm, and I'm seeing, well, nobody's on the COVID list anymore. And, <laughs> hey, Corey Lindsley's back. You know, Derwin James, looks like he's back as well. He came back against the Barco. So, uh, for this kind of team, I, I know, Scott, you know the charge as well. This team usually has, like, a bad injury. It's just kind of hurting them all year. And for the most part, to get to a, a week 18, which is so weird to say still, uh, this Chargers team looks healthy. They have their players available. Like, those, that protocol uh, COVID change last week was a game changer for all teams. That's why they don't have anybody on the COVID list anymore. Uh, they kind of went through their, their outbreak wave, and they got it. It sounds weird to say, like, they got it early or inside. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants an outbreak. Right. But, you know, they got that out the way. You never know. Things will still occur. Uh, and maybe I shouldn't be jumping the gun because things always change very fast with, with the COVID era in uh, football nowadays. But for the most part, to end, to end the week healthy with players available – uh, that's, a, that's the best you can ask for when you're, you're playing this wild win-and-end scenario with everything on the line. Yeah, Gilbert, so I just wanted to piggyback off of what Scott said about the secondary. You know, Harris, Davis, James, Adderley, Samuel, all healthy. What does that mean yeah. for the secondary as far as what Brandon Staley can do, certain packages, certain looks maybe? Uh, I know Derwin James is a guy they move around like a chess piece on a, on a, like a piece on a chess board, so... Is, will we see more of him maybe rushing the passer, lined up in different spots, in the slot, disguised? What, what can we expect to see from that from that defense Sunday night? Yeah, it's funny. I was just talking to uh, my good friend, Fernando Ramirez, who covers the Chargers for Sports Illustrated. We're, we're trying to break down who's having the better season, Gus Bradley or Brandon Staley on the defensive <laughs> side of the ball. And you start looking at the numbers like, man, Gus Bradley you know, might be taking uh, you know, the, the edge here, but – you know, there, there are two different schemes. As you guys know, the Gus Bradley mm-hmm. team is a little easier to kind of learn, and maybe that's why you see more of the progression in year one. Now, the Brandon Staley team is a, a, is a totally, uh, you know, a different scheme, a little more complicated. It's built on disguises, uh, tricking people. Uh, you don't know when they're going to blitz, when they're going to, you know, go back into coverage. And when you have your, your secondary healthy, like you guys mentioned, the, the more you can do, the better, especially with Derwin James is doing so much. And you know, I, I, I swear every time we ask Brandon Staley, what does Derwin James mean to his defense? I think he's gonna he's about to cry and then lead the <laughs> poem and just sharing about how grateful he is. He goes off in paragraphs saying, you know, you know, I'm not trying to blow air uh, up anybody's, you know, what. Uh, this guy is really special to me because he is the, the play caller on the field. He's one of your best pass rushers, one of your best coverage guys, one of your best tacklers. He is a playmaker all around. And, and oh, oh, by the way, he's the heart and soul of the entire team. So, uh, yeah, it changes a lot because, you know, it's going to be a, a good uh, or a tough decision for Brandon Staley because Hunter Renfro was just killing it this year from the slot position. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon Staley called one, one of the best slot corner and slot, slot receivers in the NFL. And currently, Chris Harris Jr. Has, has that position. So he's kind of been shaky. He's kind of been burned a couple of times. But he, for the most part, he's found his footing in the last month of the season. He's had some COVID issues. He's had some injuries. 
Uh, but, you know, what do you do if, if, if he's having trouble and you want to use Derwin James on Terran Waller? You got to figure out where you want to put Derwin James. And also, too, you don't want to be having Derwin James shattering people because he does so much for you when he's going around. That creates more uh, uh, scheming opportunities for, 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 uh, for Brandon Staley to get kind of creative. So it's going to be a lot of tough decisions for, for Brandon. Do you want to have Derwin shadow Waller if he plays or have him kind of, you know, take a, give Chris Harris Jr. a break in the slot? Or do you want him be that chess piece, move him all around? And I think it's option, option C for uh, Brandon Staley. Gilbert Manzano from the SoCal News Group, Orange County Register, L.A. Daily News is our guest. He covers the Chargers. And, Gilbert, let me switch to the offensive side of the ball. Talk about Justin Herbert now. Uh, here's a guy, you know, in his second year, was so impressive as a rookie, comes out. He's had, you know, he's had his moments like any young quarterback. I don't care which one it is. They're going to have their moments. But what I've been impressed with in watching film of him this week is where he's really improved in kind of num- two things, really. One is – uh, not trying to do too much because he has that talent level and he's able to do that with that big arm, throw the ball deep, challenge deep when he can, uh, that sometimes, you know, that talent can get ahead of you, so to speak. But he's really reined that in. And then the processing that you see him on the field, in the pocket, and making better decisions. What has been his progression in year two uh, that makes you think, okay, this kid wasn't a flash in the pan. This kid is going to be a long-term, really good quarterback in this league. Yeah, you know, I, I wrote about this, you know, a couple of weeks ago when, when he was named the, the Pro Bowl starter in the AFC. And, and first of all, you know, when Brandon Staley got hired and, and he brought on Joe Lombardi, the, the main kind of concern for from, from you know, I don't know, national pundits and fans were saying, don't screw up Justin Herbert. You have the stallion of a quarterback. <laughs> Just don't mess it up. Make it simple. Make it easy. It's his fifth coaching staff in six years. And Brandon Staley, to his credit, said, forget that. You got to challenge a guy like this. This guy has a full skill set. Uh, people are just focus on the big arm, but uh, it's the little things he does well. And I think that's why he's going to the Pro Bowl as a starter. Well, I don't know about the Pro Bowl because they're trying to avoid that and go to the Super Bowl so far. Uh, <laughs> but if he does play in the Pro Bowl, that kind of validates the work that Joe Lombardi and Brad Staley did. And it's the little things, like you were saying, Scott. Uh, he's very accurate, a good decision maker. Yeah, he has 14 interceptions, but some of them kind of, you know, some bad drops, uh, batted, batted balls. Uh, for, for the most part, it's not a bad number uh, in the NFL. Uh, but, you know, it, it's just the, the small things he does, you know, taking control of a Lombardi scheme is kind of complex in, in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many moving parts. And, for, and that's why guys like Austin Eckler are having career years, 18 touchdowns. Mike Williams over 1,000 yards receiving. King Allen doing what he's always doing. Uh, you know, your offensive line, Rashawn Slater, you know, they're, they're doing a good job, Corey Lindsay. But when you're that mobile and escape the, escape the pocket, uh, you uh, avoid sacks and you make your offensive line look better in that way. So, uh, you know, when you talk about, you know, a potential MVP candidate, like, yeah, Tom, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are way ahead. Uh, you know, might be Justin Herbert, you know, third or fourth on the list. Uh, he's done a good job. And I think it's the little things that he does, just taking command on the huddle, decision-making, uh, and, and also, like, timing and rhythm with uh, with his players. Because sometimes when you're escaping out of the, the pocket uh, and kind of all hell breaks loose, like, you kind of lose that composure mm-hmm. or being controlled. And you see him, like, you know, he kind of stops, sets his feet, uh, unleashes the ball for 50 yards down the field. Like, that's kind of crazy just to see you're kind of speeding things up, and then you pause, your mechanics are on point, your timing and your rhythm. Uh, all that's kind of pretty special to see uh, for Justin Herbert. Now, Gilby, you mentioned avoiding sacks. Chargers is going to be going against two pass-rushing monsters in Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe. 
but I wrote one of your pieces because I try to support great writing out there. I try to support <laughs> my fellow writers and reporters. And you <laughs> talked about the O-line depth and uh, Quisenberry stepping in at center the last two games. Trey Pipkins playing left and right tackle in weeks 15 and 17. Do you think they've gained enough confidence from that coaching staff to play in this, in this crucial game that they really have to? Yeah, you know, it, it's tough to say because, you know, when I was writing that piece, I'm like, man, am I, am I giving the team too much credit? Like, <laughs> it's always been a problem, the depth here, and, like, the offensive line usually struggles. Like, I don't, I don't want to, like, sound like I'm I'm kind of being a cheerleader. So I started kind of doing some research and, like, you know, when, when this offense is, is, is top three in all these analytic sites and they haven't scored less than 28 points and, you know, their uh, they're meltdown in Denver in week 12. They're, they're averaging like close to 400 yards per game. Like part of that's because of the offensive line. And when you have Slater missing a game, you have Filer missing a game, Corey Lindsay has missed a game, that's just good adjusting. And maybe, you know, I don't want to praise too much of the play of Trey, Trey Pipkins and, and, and Quisenberry because you will have limitations. But I think it was more of credit to the coaching staff because you're scheming around that. You're trying to put your guys, your backup guys, in the best position to succeed. And they kind of figured that out uh, since that uh, week 12 game against Denver. So, yeah, when Filer and Lindsley and Slater are on the field, this Chargers offense goes to another level. But their kind of hiccup is they're always top-heavy and they have no mm. depth. So, like you mentioned, Mo, if something happens in this game where Corey's like, hey, my back is too tight, I can't go. Well, now, now you know how to adjust with Quisenberry or say something happens to the tackles. Now you kind of have a decent twin tackle and trade type himself. It's gonna be. It could be a long day for for the offensive line because, like you mentioned, Max Crosby and uh, and Galway are, are so talented. Uh, but for the most part, this, this line is healthy right now. So I wouldn't mind seeing Rashawn Slater, Max Crosby going out at, at it. And then what do you do on the other side if Galway is kind of giving fits to Storm Norton and uh, Michael Schofield? Yeah, and and staying on the offense, uh, Gilbert, the running game for the Chargers. You know, the first half of the season not so great. But the second half of the season, it seems to have gotten much better. Uh, that might be because of the offensive line. What else do you attribute that to? I mean, Austin Eckler, I know they, they struggled kind of figuring out who was going to be the second running back in the rotation. Then they kind of solidified that. What has been the difference there? Why are they running the ball better? Yeah, you know, they, they finally got that second running back in Justin Jackson, but he, he kind of took a step back, you know, last week. But also, mm-hmm. Corey Lindsay, when Corey Lindsay stepped out, the running game kind of took a dive, but in the prior game with Houston, Justin Jackson had a Quisenberry in front of him, and he had kind of a career game. Uh, he was the only one that did anything in that Houston game, so uh, they're going to need Justin Jackson, especially with these these kind of pressure games, especially if they go to the playoffs too. Like you gotta you gotta run the ball. Uh, you gotta remember it's all about it's all about a field position. Uh, you know, just kind of that bloody old school kind of football way. But for the most part, it's been a struggle. Uh, but they're making it work. Like, I think the Chargers know that Austin Eckler is not the three-down back that mm-hmm. you just kind of, you know, make them go through, all, you know, the, the pile there of the line of scrimmage. So, but they're moving them around, uh, finding open space. And when you have Justin Jackson helping you out, that gives you more options of what to do with Austin Eckler, which could create a lot of, you know, nightmares for the Raiders. They're like, okay, Austin's going to the slot now, or he's going to the outside, or he's coming out the backfield, or he's going to run now uh, in this zone, zone scheme kind of thing. Uh, so the more options, the better. But for the most part, I'm not really ready to say this running game has figured it out. They, they, they take one step forward, they take two steps back. Mm. But when you have Rashawn Slater and Matt Filer creating a bunch of holes for you on the left side, sometimes it's just easy run to the left side and make it work. But uh, that's what I'm curious because the Raiders present probably the toughest challenge in terms of a uh, defensive line. Because maybe when they play Cincinnati and Trey Hendrickson over there, because mm-hmm. uh, they kind of have some, you know, 
last week, you know, Bradley Chubb, uh, they played the Giants and the Texans. So this might be their first challenge in terms of pass rushers since that game. And maybe, you know, I'll find out my story is accurate about the depth they have when they play uh, Crosby and Ngakwe on Sunday Night Football. So I got, I got a big picture question here. There was a lot of discussion about Staley's aggressive coaching style after that loss to the Chiefs. But the Chargers are ninth in fourth down conversions, I believe. I'm just wondering, is that water under the bridge because he established that approach on day one when he got there? Or do you think we could see a, a different, more conservative strategy in, in a game of this magnitude? Yeah, it's, it's been weird. Ever since uh, that, that Chiefs came on front line football where he kind of took a lot of criticism, and, and that was a guy that asked him, like, hey, uh, Bradley, it was kind of a struggle on fourth down. Can you kind of <laughs> let me know what happened there? And he went off into this big old speech of saying, that's how we're going to play around here. We're going to be aggressive. We're not going to shy away from anybody. To beat the Chiefs, mm-hmm. you got you got to go for it on fourth down. But ever since that game, it's kind of he's been kind of a conservative mm-hmm. coach. And, and I, I could kind of see it because, you know, I asked him also the next day, when they were playing against Houston, he passed, for, passed on fourth down three times, went for the field goals. And it kind of bit him, you know, in the behind for the final score. And he didn't want to talk about the fourth down. He was kind of <laughs> uh, pissed off about that. And, 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 and part of it is, like, you don't have – he didn't have Mike Williams out there. He didn't have Jalen Guyton. He didn't have Corey Lindsay to block. So there's a lot of guys that were out. He didn't want to say that because he wants to be, uh, you know, supportive of the backup players as well. So that, that was kind of part of it. Uh, that's just my guess. Uh, against Denver, the same thing. He had a fourth and one uh, at, the, at the goal line. Uh, and he went for the for the field goal, and it's kind of weird to see Brandon Staley do that. But I don't know if it's mind games or whatever for the Raider game. But also the Broncos, you know, their offense was struggling with Drew Locke. It's kind of like, who are you playing? Like, can this team beat me? Yeah. You know, they're, they're just kind of kicking field goals. You know, maybe not. Whatever, just take the points and you'll be fine. But if you're playing a red hot Derek Carr, who's you know kind of slinging the ball down the field in the mm-hmm. first half, you're thinking, okay, it's going to be a touchdown affair. Let's go for it on fourth down. So I think it just depends on who's on the field for you, who you're playing, situation. Like, it's not all about numbers out there. People think it's just like a, a robot talking to Brandon Staley and his ear saying, go for it. The percentage is really high. Go for it now. You, you know, he got paid a bunch of money to kind of have that gut feeling. And I think that's part of it as well. Yeah, and Gilbert, before we let you go, I mean, this game, look, the Charger-Raider rivalry, like you said, I grew up a Charger fan, so I lived it as a kid, as a fan the first time. Uh, and, and yeah, even though the Raiders have had down years, as have the Chargers, uh, there's always there always seems to be the mood for this, this game to happen two times a year and for that rivalry. Then you add in the Bosa-Car stuff, which they both kind of downplayed this week a little bit. Uh, but the magnitude of the game outside of the AFC rivalry, the playoffs on the line, uh, isn't it great for both of these franchises who've struggled recently with all sorts of different issues, coaching changes, and of course, you know, obviously the Raiders story this year. How much does this mean for both these? Obviously, the winner is going to feel a lot better than the loser in this game, uh, but it's nice to see these two franchises get to the point where they're playing each other to get in the playoffs, isn't it? Yeah, especially if we look at the last 20 years, like who's doing most of the winning, the Broncos and the Chiefs. So right. we kind of turn around and have the Raiders and the Chargers being a big game on something like football. And I was just talking to some of my, my colleagues, like, and we're trying to figure out when is the last time there was like a, a play, a winning or win game on the final week of the season for two teams. Like usually you kind of see a scenario for one team that you win or end, but not for both teams. We can't figure it out. So it must mm-hmm. be a very unique situation, especially for Chargers Raiders. I, I'm sure that's never happened in the rivalry of their history. I'm sure never in a Week 18 game, I can say that, at least when I write my story. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's a very unique situation. And keep in mind, like, a couple of years ago, this team was in San Diego, and that team was in Oakland. Now they're, like, Las, yeah. Las Vegas, 
uh, Los Angeles, two new stadiums. So it kind of shows you like a new era uh, of football, and especially with Justin Herbert and Brandon Staley kind of, you know, trying to challenge Derek Carr. He's been there for a good amount of years, but uh, the, the job that Rich Passaccia has done over there, it kind of feels like something is new as well. Yeah, it's going to be fun, and, and what a great chapter it will be for the history of these two teams and the rivalry of the AFC West. Gilbert Manzano, the Southern California News Group, Orange County Register, LA Daily News. My man, thanks again for being with us, and I know what's been a hugely busy week for you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate the time as always. All right, Gilbert Manzano, thanks again for being with us. All right, Mo, we got about a minute left. This game, a Sunday night in Las Vegas. Who you got? What's it going to look like? Oh, man. I, I think it's going to start off as a defensive battle, and then the scores will pick up in the second half as teams, as both teams settle in. Carr and Herbert may be tr- trading scoring drives, but I think it ends 27-20 Chargers. I'm on mm. a streak. Every time I pick against the Raiders, they win, so hopefully I got some good juju <laughs> going. Just for the fans wondering out there, why am I picking against the Raiders? It's about superstition and good juju. I'm rolling with the Chargers. And I'm rolling with my man, Mo. I'm going to say 31-28 Chargers, and we're just doing this to put on, like you said, put a little mojo in our side and make sure, uh, let's see, get, get the fans of Las Vegas, the fans of Raider Nation, a nice victory and a playoff berth. Uh, all right, Mo. Well, that's it, man. That's the show. Wow, it went fast tonight. Uh, as always, make sure you follow Mo. He's, again, great and great stuff, not only about the Raiders, but also about the NFL up on Bleacher Report. Follow him at Mo, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N on Twitter. You can follow me at LV Gully. Mo, we'll talk to you next week, my man. Yeah, we'll be talking playoffs or head coaching Yay. hires. One of the two. Yes, it will, be, it will be one of the two. All right, for Momo, I'm Scott Gobranson. Don't forget, check us out, silverandblacktonight.com. We will talk to you here next week, Southern California, only on the Mightier 1090. Thank you for joining us. Please catch Silver and Black tonight, every Friday at 6 p.m. on the Mightier 1090 AM. SoCal Sports Talk.